Yeah, it doesn't need to dethrone it. They could just disaggregate themselves and... Or do a shapeshift, just decentralise Twitter. That would be remarkable, be but incredible. also hilarious. Um, yeah, it would be amazing to watch. Because can you imagine the Elliot management response to that? Sorry, no, we've already pushed the update. It's decentralised now. So if you want to dispute it, you'll need to join the DAO and you need to verify yourself in the Discord They'd be like, oh, how did uh, governance tokens get airdropped to people? Was it based on how many shares? No, no, no. It's about how many tweets you sent. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> what the? We didn't tweet. With, what? That yeah, was the whole you purpose. to show more activity on the platform. Meanwhile, like Donald Trump becomes like one of the major. <laughs> like the, and he's like suddenly jumps back into Twitter. It's like, haha, suck it. This was the long game. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. Welcome back. Thank you very much. How are you? Uh, good. Good. Been away again. So you just keep coming and going, just popping in, just say hello, record podcasts, and oh, back off to wherever. People make out that the the world has gone into lockdown. It's still possible to move around. It's just a little bit more paperwork and masks. And PCR tests. Have you done your PCR returning? Yeah, I did that. I managed to find a service. The courier actually waits for you while you do the test. For a second there, I thought you were going to say, the courier actually takes the test for you, so you don't need... (laughs) No, um, that's very kind of... That means it's a PCR that you get the results back in three hours. Oh my god, is this is this via delivery by any chance? Pretty great, right? Because if it's not, it really should be. As a foolish delivery IPO shareholder, um, how's it should delivery definitely... stop doing? How's delivery? Is it? Uh, where are you on this? They've definitely not announced that they're now doing door to door PCR delivery. If they did, you'd see a huge uptick. Are you square on your delivery investment? No, because foolishly. I did that thing where you get in on the pre-IPO thinking it was the same as when you get in on the pre-ICO when you're actually legit early. And um, it turns out that's not the case with delivery. It turns out pre-IPO is the top. <laughs> the all-time the all-time top. Um, so what, what delivery did is, I think, where was it? Roo. That's the one, isn't it? So kindly, it revisited the IPO price. Revisited that on 23rd of August. Since then, it's plummeted back down to all-time lows. So it's kind of gone down from 390 to 220, up to 390, and then it's proceeding to go back down to 220. I think on, yeah, so I, on Monday, I kind of want to say what happened on Monday, because it went down from 324 to, say, 240. I think what you'll find is everything did that on Monday, <laughs> and therefore delivery was not alone in its death spiral. You'd think more people being locked down for longer would be good for their business model, right? <laughs> like somehow, somehow um, they've missed a trick though by not doing door-to-door PCR delivery. I think if they could just land that, literally the world is their oyster. Like that's a hugely scalable market. So yeah, let's let's just ignore that really failed investment. What else has happened? I hear you were in um, Helsinki. Yeah, I was briefly in Helsinki um, for about three days and now I'm back. So yeah, Slush Conference, uh, it's been another very successful Slush, a little bit smaller than usual, but um, same great organisation, high quality 
panels and discussions, high quality of interactions. So Slush is a startup conference that was originally and still is organised um, on a voluntary basis by students as a not-for-profit. It's like the original DAO, and it's held in Mesukusus, a conference convention centre just north of Helsinki. Mm-hmm. And it's held in November, start of December every year. And because of where it is and what it is, and because of the vibe of the fact that it's largely organised by students, it's got very big, but not as big as Web Summit, while still retaining its soul. which means that it's actually still worth attending and the value of going there you still have good conversations and there's quite thoughtful and considered panel discussions and fireside chats and talks and there's a good number of attendees and a sort of workable meeting system so um that's in helsinki it's every year it's called slash it's conference uh would recommend is there anything you can tell us about that you sat in on? So any discussions or panel things or anyone who was there, like names we might recognise? Yeah, so um, Tony Faddle, the inventor of the iPod and the iPhone, uh, spoke on the first day. Obviously a lot of other famous names, but notably the first fireside chat with only two black women on stage. As mm. in, on stage there were two people. They both happened to be black, they both happened to be women. And they spoke to each other. And uh, many people in the room believe that's the first time that's ever been done or been seen at a conference. And uh, it was a success. That's amazing. So how is it that in 2021, towards the close of the year, we're only just seeing that? But uh, that occurred, and it occurred in the week just past. Cool. That's really good. Anything else you wanted to cover on Doug Goes to Helsinki for Slush? (laughs) I have no well, questions. One thing, one thing about, I, I guess one thing that struck me is the verticality of crypto. So increasingly now you're seeing some blockchain gaming side events. You're seeing a lot of DeFi talk. You're seeing some NFT communities building up around the event. And what you realize when you go to these and rub shoulders with like the CEO and, and founder variously of consensus. Is that because you can't shake hands? You just have to rub, <laughs> rub shoulders. That's the new way they do it in Helsinki. <laughs> it's COVID secure. Uh, and or the, the, the CEO of Aave. What you realise is that here are the whales that you don't see in your WhatsApp chats, your Telegram chats, your Signal chats, the group conversations. The sheer verticality and how fast it happened in the DeFi space, in the crypto space, in the NFT space. There are people so connected in to the truth that gets generated within communities of closed circles of people in the know that you will never ever reach those <laughs> meteoric levels of wealth and 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 what you'll probably say to me is what did it take a trip to helsinki a three-hour flight to make you realize that did you have to go all that way just to figure that out and the answer is yes yes i did need to figure that out and the verticality is astonishing so you know they'll they'll sort of appear it might appear in the same events that you do, but it's a very different lifestyle. There are rumours, aren't there? There's always the, they sound like conspiracy theories, but the, there's like a whale WhatsApp group essentially. It's just all all the whales. They're just in the whale WhatsApp group, just deciding how the market should move. And it always sounds a bit far fetched, but then you listen to like the All In podcast, you're like, oh, of course it is. <laughs> like, of course that's 
how it really works. But yeah, sounds like an interesting conference. I'm really jealous that you got to go. And yeah, I mean, I don't think it even needs to be a conspiracy or cartel or price fixing behavior. What was the big scandal to do with the interbank rates? LIBOR. Yeah, it doesn't need to be LIBOR. <laughs> it it just needs to be uh, certain people sharing sentiments and information. When groups of people come together, there are in-groups that share privileged information and that ad- advantages them. Yeah, I mean, there's always that. Remember that story that they always say about where like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and a few others went to Xerox and were shown their first view of like what is a, a GUI, a graphical user interface. And it's just like, it's that kind of moment where you've only got a handful of people who actually have access to, and the knowledge of a certain technology and the direction it's going in. And then, yeah, Xerox leadership ignored it and kind of, oh yeah, this is just an R&D experiment. There's no way this is going to take off. And a year later, Apple, Microsoft suddenly have a user interface that's involving a mouse and icons going around the screen and something that resembles our modern day way that we connect with digital information. But that wouldn't have, that was the same sort of verticality, right? You've just got a couple of the biggest leaders in a tiny, tiny market at that point going along to see some demo at some random thing. It's probably akin to what you have when you've got the CEOs or, or leads or founders of all these DeFi and crypto groups. They all just know each other because they all kind of were doing it at the same time about four years ago. <laughs> it's just it also exploded. helps to have the insight to understand what it is you're looking at and why it might be important. Yeah, you can't communicate that to most people, especially not regulators or even people in like the normal tech industry. Like Silicon Valley has taken a really long time to even get crypto. And it's only now, well, we'll come to that with the whole Twitter thing, but it's only now that that's starting to really, they're starting to play catch up in that area because for so long they didn't get Bitcoin. They didn't get that something could be tied into economics, the financial institutions and the way that you know, money works along with the internet and everything that's built on top of it. It just wasn't something that would compute in mm. in the sort of VC Silicon Valley world. So, uh, oh, I hear you. Yeah. In fact, that reminds me of a comment Janet Yellen's made uh, in the past week that says that on the topic of central bank digital currencies, saying that um, it's, it's unclear how quickly to go after it having so, so slightly backpedaling from previous comments that said if china's doing it you know we we must um and adding the insight that this disintermediates the banking system or at least it could do speaking of the regulators and behind them the politicians everyone's favorite whipping boy jack dorsey the politicians must be gutted in congress that they can't haul him in front of their really ill-informed congressional hearing in future because uh, he stepped back and he's no longer the CEO of Twitter. They'll happily haul in anyone else <laughs> as a replacement. I don't think that's ever stopped them before. Um, he's got a beard, like a hipster beard. He's got piercings. He's exactly the kind of character that plays well in middle America. So back in 2006, he, he, he actually did the first tweet, which I didn't realise. He did that whole just setting, just setting up my Twitter, my, yeah, without the without Twitter. without vowels. What was it? About Didn't catch on, did vowels? it? I think yeah, they definitely chose a good move to add in vowels. No, but, that's how it was then. 
Do you remember what that whole year we had to go without vowels? Like Flickr. No, Flickr had an I. Do you know that he... Um, just setting up my Twitter. 2006. Do you remember that he actually got pushed out of Twitter in 2009 and then set up Square and then did a Steve Jobs and went back in 2015 to become CEO of Twitter again? So here's some... I think it was 2008, actually. I had some questions for you. First one, why, why is he leaving? I think it's really great timing. Because like when Jeff Bezos stepped back, Jack stepping back now is really great for Twitter. Like Twitter's finally found an engineering team. I don't know where they found them, but they found them and the engineering team has started building things. The blue product, the spaces product that's like call in. Um, the other features the ability to potentially even moderate the platform who knows they have begun building features they've even started to renege on their you remember that thing they did where they had a beautiful api based ecosystem and they said oh no this kind of dilutes our ability to monetize and connect with the customers and the end users and so we'll just ruin everyone's products by turning off the APIs essentially Mm. and they've even started bringing the APIs back which is really really good so they finally found their not their voice but their engineers the CTO stepping up maybe part and parcel of the same thing and Jack is finally doing the thing that he needed to all along which is just focus on one damn thing and actually do it properly why do you think he's stepping down well all of the above points have added but I think the reason he'd left in 2008 was because of Elliot Management, who were one of the big shareholders in Twitter. He really didn't like him. Didn't feel that he was, <laughs> didn't feel he was all there. He wasn't all in on let's grow the platform and get more users and monetize it and, you know, make more profit. But then when he was away from 2008 to 2015, I don't think Twitter did much at all. And it didn't really do much for shareholders. So him coming back actually was really good for Twitter. Apparently, they've really been trying to get rid of him even since then. And we've talked before that he's kind of an absent CEO. He likes to delegate and empower other people to do stuff whilst simultaneously spending a seriously large amount of his time at Square, focusing on Bitcoin and more finance products, which is really must be pissing off people who are Twitter investors, but not Square investors, right? So I think Elliott Management had a big part to do in this and they were going to line up his ousting at some point i was curious though because the new lead the new ceo who was the former cto parag agarwal do you think he's going to be like a tim cook or sundar pinchai character for twitter or do you think i don't know like where he fits in the you know when founders step down and the next person to follow up is often like a lifer in the company who makes it to a senior thing and then steps in what will he do with twitter I mean, just the last six months have demonstrated, like I said, that Twitter has found its engineering mm, team again and out of nowhere. It's quite encouraging because that's a platform that, by rights, it's the world's village square. Like, it is so vital to a global conversation. When Trump was using it, he gave it a gravitas and a credibility, ironically, that it, it never actually had itself. He conferred upon it the presidential seal by making it the primary comms channel. But it can be that, it should be that, in some ways it could be that. It's been let down by weird UI UX, a terrible onboarding process for people who have not been in there since 2009. It's incredibly hostile and toxic. 
for anyone who's not a straight white male. It's kind of counterintuitive and horrible to use. I mean, even simple things like when you click on what you think is the conversation, you end up nearly replying rather than seeing the conversation. If you try to reply, there's this weird secret conventions like inserting a dot before the at sign or weird things like that. Like what it, Twitter, what are you trying to be? Just some arcane platform for programmers. Grow up. You have a responsibility now. Start shipping. Start pushing those product updates. Okay, okay, Twitter. And start moderating. User. Let's not pretend that you're tweeting every day like you used to. <laughs> like, it's, start moderating it's come on the platform a long way. And actually, I'm really interested in where it could go because I think Jack Dorsey has a reputation of just like letting other people make decisions in Twitter. He was quite hands off. In fact, even he was very resistant to the whole you know, kicking Donald Trump off the platform, kind of allowed that to be part of their like internal committee process. You know, he didn't, he kept that, he kept away out of that quite a lot. And even though he's very against things like Ethereum as a platform, he prefers Bitcoin, yet NFTs on Ethereum are getting integrated into Twitter. So that carried on under the CTO's guidance, I guess. And there's a lot more that's happening. There's rumors about something in their roadmap about Ethereum tipping, the way they have basic attention token tipping natively baked in for the people who have those wallets. So And and Bitcoin tipping. And and Bitcoin tipping, like a lot of that I don't think maybe the Bitcoin tipping, I feel like he was instrumental in that. But a lot of the other things just happened without him intervening. I just wonder whether this new you know, whether Paragagawal is going to be as philosophical and as kind of pro free markets, Bitcoin, kind of very pro decentralization. And there's a there's another question I had for you, which was, are you familiar with Blue Sky, the thing that was, I guess, the white paper for it came out in 2019, but it was the whole idea pitched by Jack Dorsey about making a decentralized social media platform on the blockchain. No, tell me more. So back in uh, 2019, they announced this and they said, like, very, very vague. We're trying to pull together people from the community, like Tim Berners-Lee and the other kind of iconic minds to build a decentralized social media platform on the blockchain to make this to make something everything that twitter being a web 2 thing just couldn't be that apparently they were looking for someone to be the lead for and the lead ended up being parag agarwal who's now the cto and well as of recording is now the, the new ceo i just wonder what this means for that project now he has the remit answering to shareholders, and in particular, Elliot Management, whether that will take a back seat and someone else will have to build the thing that dethrones Twitter as the village square. Yeah, it doesn't need to dethrone it. They could just disaggregate themselves and... Or do a shapeshift, just de- decentralise Twitter. That would be remarkable, be but incredible. also hilarious. Um, yeah, it would be amazing to watch. Because can you imagine the Elliot Management response to that? Sorry, no, we've already pushed the update. It's decentralized now. So if you want to dispute it, you'll need to join the DAO and you need to verify yourself in the Discord. They'd be like, oh, how did uh, governance tokens get airdropped to people? Was it based on how many shares? No, 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 it's about how many tweets you sent. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> what the? We didn't tweet. We're, what? That yeah, was the whole you purpose. to show more activity on the platform. Meanwhile, like Donald Trump becomes like one of the major, <laughs> like, the, and he's like suddenly jumps back into Twitter. It's like, ha ha, suck it. This was the long game. We'll see. Yeah. So, Our so. Snapshot predates Trump. <laughs> 
this. <laughs> um, I, I saw a really uh, funny tweet from Jason Yanovich, which <laughs> which described this as like, this is nothing but a talented Web 2 builder leaving for Web 3, describing the fact that he's now focusing entirely on Square, now the company known as Block. So what's next for Jack, in your view? So a few things. So first of all, so Square, renaming itself to Block. Yes. And Jack is still the CEO. Jack Dorsey is still the CEO of, of Block. And why have they renamed themselves to Block? Good question. Because it has a lot of connotations, one of which is blockchain, but other of which is like community, as in the the, the Block and some other stuff. Mm. They'll probably block some transactions on the platform. I didn't <laughs> say that in the press release. But then Square is still the product that the merchants have, as in that small thing that used to clip into the top of the uh, 3.5 phono jack. Then that will remain a Square product under the block brand. The stock ticker remains Square. Weirdly, Square Crypto is going to be renamed Spiral, which is stupid. It's a weird name, isn't it? Cash App is still there. Title is still there. And of course, the blockchain tech project that we all know and love, TBD 545-66975. Who doesn't Great love name. That? Great name. <laughs> of all the people who could successfully destabilize the current financial system in a mainstream way, one of them might be Jack Dorsey because he actually understands Bitcoin and he's got his hooks into the system in the form of, here are the merchants, they use the Square app, buy block, and here is, weirdly, a high lossless music, high fidelity lossless music streaming service title. And here is Cash App, which is B2C facing. And we've already laid the groundwork for Bitcoin integrating into Twitter on social side. And Square, now Block. In fact, no, now, I guess, Spiral? I don't know which part of it. But the part that was building the Bitcoin open source wallets and mining equipment, that part. Anyway, they're still building that, which is really big. Because I think focusing on that with all the other parts that they have tapped into the financial ecosystem will be really interesting. When they launch something that's that everyone can use as an open source Bitcoin wallet, I think that's a big deal. Because it'll immediately just be part of the Cash App, right? And it'll be part of the Square Merchant things. And it'll be part of all of the different whatever hooks that they have in payment channels. So it could be quite interesting. I'll just go on the record as saying that I think the name change will, in retrospect, come to seem like a distraction and a bad idea. Mm, maybe. Because they're not doing the same thing that Facebook is doing, of trying to slough off a sort of toxic brand. That's, Square was fine. Square was fine, and, yeah. and the fact is that, yes, the company Square has a product called Square that's a subset of what it does, but that's not reason enough. Mm. Um, a name change is a big deal. So... I think it's time for our not a sponsor segment. Do you have a good not a sponsor first? I certainly do. You know LED lights? Mm -hmm. They don't give you that vintagey old time feel, do they? They don't make you feel like you're in a cosy, cosy farmhouse sitting at the table with warm glow cast down by an Edison-style light bulb in a mm, vintagey way. True. Go on. Well, your days of yearning for that oldie-timey <laughs> feel are over with the Aura Glow Mesa LED light bulb, vintage retro rustic style decorative energy efficient filament B22T64 classic shape. So <laughs> what it is, is it's a light bulb and you can get it in bayonet or screw in. And it's so good. It's like, describes itself as Edison style. Ah, 
what they mean is it looks like you're in a coffee shop and <laughs> it's got that vintagey thing with the filament it's so good and um the link will be in the show notes by which i mean the writing that's in your podcast app underneath the you know and there'll be a link there an affiliate link by the way to where you want to buy it on amazon you could buy it from AuraGlow directly but you'll want to buy it from amazon because it's just easier isn't it and so you've got like the only thing about this that's different from other i've never seen this before but you can turn it off and turn it on again and it comes back in setting two which is a bit dimmer and you turn it off and turn it on again it comes back in setting three which is the darkest and they say literally designed for ambient light only and not to be relied on as a main source of light isn't a bright <laughs> light bulb it's actually more of an atmosphere it mm. creates it's wonderful so that's the Oroglow mesa led light bulb vintage retro rustic style light bulb thanks for this week's non-sponsor yeah so it's it's a 12 pound light bulb it's led and it will last for approximately um fifteen thousand hours cool Thanks, thanks, long, long lame light bulb. I think it might be time for This Week in Crypto. Oh my God, This Week in Crypto. So first things first, market update from Doug. Yeah, so we last spoke on Sunday um, when Bitcoin was approximately like 54, 55,000 US dollars. And it went up in the course of the last week to 59,000 US. And then it went down just in the last day to as low as 45,000. So down from 59, nearly 60, down to 45,000 today. And it's since recovered down to... 42, actually. Right. Well, and it's since recovered up to 49,000. Two things are happening. Omicron, market jitters. So just a word on the stock market. We kind of pointed to this earlier, but as per the non-financial advice last week, it, it would have behooven you to get out of the markets the markets are nervous about omicron and also about the fed tapering its uh, bond purchases and also about the rate at which jobs are being added to the u.s economy slowing against expectations so all of those things affecting the stock market and that obviously also kind of reflected in crypto as well as that mount gox sometime soon that old japanese exchange will be flooding the market with some bitcoins or at least that's what's expected so that might be playing into it as well so uh, all in all it's been a dire time in the regular stocks and shares equity markets and it's been a sort of a wobbly time in crypto with a small uptick just in the last few hours it's funny that like a dire time in the markets over the last 10 days is like down four percent on the s p 500 and yet a wobbly time in crypto is like down 25 percent in a day yeah, so, I think people have different expectations. So basically, I mean, US markets, 4 to 6% drop over the last week. I think this is just a growing trend of just Black Friday, just running on forever and ever and ever. Just doesn't end. More Black Friday sales a week after Black Friday. That's basically what what's, <laughs> this has ended up being. But it's funny, in some chat groups I'm in, the reaction to this is, oh, fire sale. And the reaction to other people is just like, oh my God, I'm ruined. <laughs> I, think, I think what a lot of this is, is just leverage and winding in the system and i think it's interesting that all this like capitulation didn't happen on a day that the actual stock market is open it happened friday night heading into saturday when all markets are closed and any large whales in the crypto market dumping basically can cascade all the stop loss positions of retail investors and then you had this panic going into 
what I can only assume, given from when it happened, was like the morning in Asia. Saturday morning in Asia. Yeah, and then everyone's just waking up to this like ridiculous cascade that was not people panicking, but probably just all their stop losses or just getting liquidated and it just running its way down. That's why Bitcoin hit it hit 42,000 and then it went straight back up as everyone who saw it at that price and was able to react when and bought it, including Mr. Bukele. He bought the dip again with money that I don't know where he's getting it from, but El Salvador have acquired more Bitcoin. He's becoming the the, the kind of the coolest dictator in the world. Is, is that a thing? Yeah, it's, I don't think it's cool. It's no. But uh, so I did ad, watch his launch there. video. <laughs> <laughs> did watch his launch video for Bitcoin City and the fireworks that went with it and the sort of memoji that he'd created for himself. Who else is buying Bitcoin a lot? Who uh, is a kind of mobile BI former. <laughs> former, former specialist former specialist company still, in the visualization of data he's still the ceo of that that's still his job <laughs> like michael what does Saber. microstrategy actually do what are they are they like a hedge fund they're an unofficial bitcoin spot etf <laughs> that's traded on, on the new york stock exchange that's that's what they officially are unofficially they make a uh, sort of a bi analytics product that you How can much? you know I subscribe don't believe to. that any of I don't believe that any of their engineers are spending any more time doing anything on the actual core product um, how much bitcoin does microstrategy currently own I'm going to go to his tweet. This is five days ago. So MicroStrategy has purchased an additional 7,002 Bitcoins for $414.4 million in cash at an average price of 59187 per Bitcoin. As of the 29th of November, we hodl 121,044 Bitcoins acquired for $3.57 billion at an average price of $29,534 per Bitcoin. So average buy price, pretty incredible. Sorry, the average price being? 29534 right. Okay, so at the present price of, say, 50k, how much is MicroStrategy's holding of BTC worth? It's just $6 billion. So they really need to double down. So they've spent $3.57 billion, and it's worth $6 billion. So mm. they're, they're, they're doing good. Like I said, unofficial spot BTF. But it it's a, a level of conviction that I think... It's funny because it almost is that extreme religiosity that you get in the Bitcoin community, especially the kind of maximalist Bitcoin community where you have you have people who are into crypto like we are and who are interested in all areas of it. And then you have the ones that have seen Bitcoin purely from its monetary impact and the way it completely breaks the model of fiat currencies and the current global economy. And you get those people who are just like, Bitcoin is religion. Michael Saylor is Bitcoin Jesus. Satoshi is essentially God and the white paper is the Bible. And they are they are in this from a, a level of conviction that it's really hard to understand if you don't kind of pay attention to what they're like. But Michael Saylor's profile picture, have a look at it. Like, look at this. You can't even... Yeah. He, he's literally yeah. got a halo of lightning around him. He looks him. like an orthodox icon. Yeah, he's got Bitcoin as a halo and there's light coming out of his eyes looking like Zeus. Mm. It's really, it's it's weirdly contagious. And I think it's only when you understand the religiosity to Bitcoin and how many people are starting to kind of get sucked into that, you know, dogma that you start to appreciate this isn't going to be, oh, Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy, you know, selling at some point and, and the whole market collapsing. 
they have literally wedded every part of their being to this movement. <laughs> so yeah, there would be credibility issues for him. It, um, it would if right? he were to sort of try and backpedal. So they're never selling, which is yeah a scary thought. And then if you look at Bukele, who's kind of adopted this partly from a kind of politics, you know, it's popularity bit, but he's in that whole circle of Bitcoin maximalists now. These people, they're not selling because for the same reason that Peter Schiff is not buying. <laughs> it's, it's His identity is entirely about gold and gold as a reserve store of value. Um, so he can never buy Bitcoin. These people can never sell Bitcoin because their entire identity is, is baked into this. They're like flat earthers that have built a community around being a flat earther. You can't then admit the world's actually round. It's in, it's social suicide. Anyway, yeah, this tangent, is how you get, but this is how you get polarised discourse. So just lest we forget, we just mentioned six billion US dollars in terms of microstrategy, a business intelligence company, visualisation company, uh, <laughs> Bitcoin holding. Lest we forget how much the Federal Reserve is spending every month prior to tapering on its uh, bond purchase programme. How much is it? It's 120 billion US dollars a month that the Federal Reserve is spending on purchasing bonds. So there is that is a lot of money, isn't it? There's a lot of money. It's just good to remind ourselves of that. Is it time for this week in NFTs? This week in NFTs. I have only one story that I've paid attention to because the week has just been such chaos. But your Adidas prediction last week, your metaverse or metaverse that was to do with, was it Bored Apes and Adidas? Yeah. Ah, it came true. Like, it, it actually it happened. So Adidas have entered the metaverse, whatever that actually means, with Board Ape Yacht Club and some other people who I don't know, but apparently very important. Tell me more, <laughs> given that you <laughs> foresaw this event. The reason I knew it was going to happen is because they did a teaser of it. So basically, it's Board Ape Yacht Club, Punk's Comic, and G Money. Mm, and yes. it's kind of a co-branding deal, I guess. It's a metaverse-related <laughs> partnership. And so the apes are there, they're wearing Adidas. So it's part of a bigger story that's happening at the moment with all sports brands. But with Adidas, Adidas have uh, Adidas Originals. And if you go to their Twitter, they said, Today we leap into the metaverse with Board Ape Yacht Club at Gmoney NFT and at Punks Comic. And then if you go to adidas.com forward slash metaverse, it will redirect you to this kind of it feels like Fortnite, but as if you flew in from space and you're flying into the earth and there's a video of, I guess, G-Money and Punk's Comic, but also a blue board Ape Yacht Club in an Adidas tracksuit flying into what I assume is what they think the metaverse is, kind of like a, just the earth, but... Yeah, but that's just a video. What is actually, actually happening? Because oh. you've got the tweet from Sandbox, you've got the partnership on NFTs, but what, what are they doing? So it's it's weird. I think this is just, again, part of their brand strategy, which is you can download an app called Adidas Confirmed. And when you do, you get all the product drop news for everything. But I think what's happening is the same thing that Nike are doing and the same thing that Puma are doing and the same thing that most kind of athleisure brands are doing, which is they've realized people love streetwear and the identity that is built around it and actually setting up stores in various different places whether it's sandbox or decentraland or whatever pops up next week and having people buy just essentially a coat or like some shoes or something that you can 
where in the metaverse has some weird bizarre value because you can do exactly what they do with the Yeezys, right? You can have, oh, this shoe that's only available in the metaverse has a hundred line run of it. Do you want to own one? And suddenly digital rarity, same thing that everything has, right? If you can have digital rarity of a one of one punk, you can, and you can have, you know, nifties and other places where you can buy only 1000 NFTs of this painting, you're going to get it with shoes and you're going to get it with zip up hoodies and with all this other stuff. And I've, I've seen it happen with Puma. Puma have partnered with Lamello Ball. You remember I talked about the Lamelloverse and he's issued his own NFTs, the NBA player. He has a signature shoe and Puma have partnered with his NFT brand to basically do the same thing with their shoes because the sneaker market is around the world. People collecting these really rare shoes that are never wearing them. They just like collecting shoes, right? So why wouldn't that apply to the metaverse where you can wear them because they don't wear out it's literally amazing you finally have a shoe you can wear for all this time you've got sneakerheads who have just been like oh i bought the latest jordans i managed to cure it for ages we got it i've got to keep it crisp in this airtight box you no one can ever touch it but it's going to be worth a fortune soon because there's only 10 ever made suddenly those people can wear them in like a video game and then sell it for more without it ever damaging or wearing that's a huge market for Adidas, Puma, Nike, Reebok, anyone who makes shoes, basically. Mulberry, Chanel, Gucci, I don't know all the bands. I'm not a luxury head, but you better believe they're all going to be in on this because they've realized, wait, I don't even have to make it and they can sell it. That's, that's a money printing machine. That's incredible. Where do I sign? Oh, Board Ape Yacht Club have decided they'll help me make this popular because they've got a big audience of 5,000 people who will happily pay money for this. Sure, we'll put an Adidas logo on a blue ape. Yeah, where do I sign? <laughs> That's the trend, I think. <laughs> so um, having missed out badly on uh, Board Ape Yacht Club... I think my only chance to get in might be that platform where other people put in their apes as collateral and then if they get liquidated, you might be able to pick up an ape for cheap. Can you remind me what platform that was? NFT-Fi. Catch your NFT-fi. name. NFT-Fi. Brilliant. So you can basically... But then it would require you to... Oh yeah, I guess loan out ETH to someone who's put that as a collateral and then they would have to default on it. Mm. And then you get yeah. I mean that's that's a long that's, game. That's that's the long the game play. to get an eight. That's yeah. the play. And meanwhile, you were mentioning like LVMH and other luxury brands. And Grayscale says that the metaverse is a probably trillion dollar per year uh, market opportunity for gaming goods and luxury goods. So mm. some thoughts there, Jonathan. Is it time for crypto punk or crypto funk? Mm. We're going to return to our usual format bringing back the classic yes the first one i've got is called number 25 solana road and this is kind of an nft of a house on pontevedra beach florida it's on solana and i can't tell if it's a publicity stunt but imagine it's like an nft that's everything but the physical house like you don't buy the house but you get like all the plans a virtual 3d model the registry documents, any searches and surveyor stuff, all as part of the NFT metadata. Yeah, so that's that. Go on. Um, second one, Cryptopus NFT. 
It's a 10k project. 270 variable traits, 20 unique suits, some nonsense about some planet called Cryptopia and octopuses who survived. Anyway, pre-sales coming up soon, 10th of November. Get in while you can. Early whitelist is only 0.06 ETH, plus gas fees, which will no doubt be more than that. Yeah. Gosh, wow. Can I tell, tell me you the all? house? Tell me the street name. Uh, Ponte Vedra Beach. The street name is, is Solana Road. So it's just number 25 Solana Road, and it's Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. It runs on Solana. And it's currently listed at 750 Sol, which <laughs> I think after the crash is like 150k or something. Um, but when you buy it, what do you get? Just some plans you don't and some get, drawings? You don't get the house. You get so what, all what of the this? other stuff. You get like, ev- you get the virtual 3D they model. Burn the, the plans. <laughs> I don't think so. It feels like a stunt. Registry documents, search and surveyor results. Um, so basically everything but the house you get. Yeah. Um, so the house is the crypto punk and the crypto puss is the crypto funk. But what if I told you the Cryptopus had a team of Gladiatopus, the project manager, Raindroppus, the NF... No? No, I'm fine. <laughs> it's over. It's over, Cryptopus. <laughs> okay, okay. Put, okay. Down, put down the laser weapon. <laughs> so, um, so Cryptopus NFT is, in fact, the crypto punk. Um, the crypto funk I made up, which is number twenty-five Solana Road, which uh, doesn't exist. Nope, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Okay, uh, over to you. Thank you. Um, so the first one is uh, Milk Token MLK runs on Binance Smart Chain, and it's a way of um, doing interoperable loyalty points. And the second one is Elon Borg, uh, E L O N B O R G, and it's a meme token. It's kind of like a hybrid of uh, Elon's face with a dog with like a cyborg um, in a cartoony way, uh, and that's on Binance Smart Chain as well. Wait, but are these are these NFTs? No, this is Crypto Punk or Crypto Funk. Yeah, not shitcoin or fake coin. Yeah, I thought we were going right back. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Same format. This I or went that. back too far. <laughs> I've made it's an like error. Cri- crypto punk, crypto funk, shitcoin or fake coin. Who knows? <laughs> it could be anything. Do they? Do the MLK people know that MLK is also not? It's not just doesn't just mean milk without an eye. It's no, got they, other they connotations. Don't they don't know that. Okay. They think that the national celebration every year is something to do with loyalty <laughs> points. They've really misunderstood. Okay, and Elon Borg is yeah. is is it's there's a million Elon things. I think Elon Borg is the fake coin, and Milk MLK, the inconveniently named loyalty token, is a shitcoin. What if I were to tell you? Oh no. That Elon Borg Inu holders benefit from reflections on every transaction and its auto staking <laughs> feature, and furthermore, charity activities for people and animals are carried out. Carried out? No, not I'm not. I'm not buying it. This is this is too much Doug language written all over it. This is absurd. No, Elon Borg is not real. Um, final answer. So you're saying that Elon Borg is the <laughs> crypto funk. And, <laughs> it's the fake uh, coin. 
is the fake coin. Uh, you're correct. Elon Borg is the fake coin, and and the <laughs> crypto punk is is uh, MILK. <laughs> the shit coin is MLK. Correct. So okay. what's real is milk, and what's not real is uh, is Elon Borg. Um, good. I'm glad we've returned to one of the old formats. <laughs> It's, maybe next week we'll, we'll, we'll confer on this <laughs> pick, pick one <laughs> well done on winning oh thank you um, just well gracious, done on taking gracious part gracious in defeat <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to you, trying to participate I mean it's not really getting some of it losing right. if you join playing the wrong game with the wrong rules <laughs> it's kind of it's like being a gun to a knife fight but <laughs> less, less damaging great pod see you next week yeah see you next week Doug Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, Hey, I like talking to you. And so, from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Bets podcast. Doug is drinking a blue dog IPA. Jonathan's got a negroni. Right, they didn't in the corporate world that night, they rocked the party. The party.